Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. You are listening to a sermon series through the second half of the Gospel of Mark, entitled, Come Die With Me. The Bible reading is from Mark chapter 14 and verses 1 to 11. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why waste this perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Well, it's been a busy few days, I can tell you. I've got to tell you about last night. Ah, but I'd better start from the beginning. Michael is forever telling me off about not explaining myself clearly. We're about to have Passover. Oh, you don't know what that is? Well, Passover is a time when we Israelites remember when we were in slavery to Egypt back in the day. God told us that he would free us and that death would pass over our houses if we daubed the doorpost with the blood of a sacrificed lamb. And we were freed. We were led out of Egypt by Moses, who did miraculous and wonderful things as God's messenger. So every year we sacrifice a lamb and we remember that God saved us. We feast and celebrate that freedom. The only downside is now we're living with the Romans. Don't get me started. We need a new Passover. We need to be freed again. I have been manically preparing for a while, but when I am not getting feasts ready or making the house ready for hordes of visitors to stay, I've been going and listening to this guy, Jesus. I first saw him a few days ago when he arrived in Jerusalem like a returning king. There were crowds in the streets who had all been waiting to hear him speak. We'd all heard about his preaching in Galilee, up north, and his healing of the sick. His arrival was spectacular. People lined the road, and they laid boughs of trees across it, calling him Messiah, the king who will set us free. Now, we have been waiting a long time for God to come again. To be honest, we need another prophet another messenger and leader like Moses. We've been promised a Messiah, a conquering king who will restore the world, kick out the Romans who oppress us and make everything right again. 
We've read about it in our scriptures, what you call the Old Testament. And we've been looking out for the right person for hundreds of years. And the signs are that this guy, Jesus, is the Messiah. If we compare him to Moses, it's looking good. Jesus has done some properly striking things. Moses fed the people in the desert from this food called manna. Jesus fed 5,000 with two fish and five loaves. Moses encountered God on the top of a mountain. It's rumored that Jesus went to the top of the mountain and Elijah and Moses met him. And God spoke to Jesus. Basically, it is looking really good so far. And we need a new Moses, an even better Moses, as the Romans occupy our land. They tax us really heavily. But to be honest, they are foreign. They aren't like us. And the sooner we have a big uprising behind a Messiah, the better. And this could be it. Isn't it an amazing picture? No Romans. That would be a cause for a feast and celebration. So since Jesus' arrival, there has been an atmosphere in town, a good one. People are talking about Jesus, and there's a sense that soon there's going to be a showdown. And the crowds go everywhere with him. People follow him from morning till night. I doubt he has a moment himself. People travel for miles to hear his preaching, his ideas, and all of us Israelites are waiting, hoping for him to take down the Pharaoh of today, the Romans. But with this hopefulness, there is also danger. The religious leaders do not like Jesus' style. He keeps telling them that they have got it wrong, that their rules and rituals aren't right. They aren't what God wants. You can see why the ordinary people think he's brilliant. But the religious leaders are furious. You would think they would want to lock him up or something. They are that cross. Thankfully, they would never go against the crowd. There would be a riot. No, no. Jesus is safe because he's always surrounded by people. But let me tell you about last night. Well, we all went down to Simon's house. I know him from way back when, when he had leprosy. In fact, that's actually become his nickname, Simon the leper. But anyway, I went to Simon's house as we heard Jesus was there with his followers called disciples. And I was intrigued to hear what he had to say. Most people were relaxing around the table after the meal and Jesus was there lying on a couch. I was standing in the shadows of the room as women don't generally enter formal dinners where men are eating. I'd been clearing the plates a couple of moments before so I could listen in and hear if Jesus had any wisdom to share. While everyone was chatting, a woman came in carrying a stunning alabaster pot. Now, I know this sounds a bit specific, but I know my jars and pots. It was a beautiful thing. Her even coming in was quite a surprise. Her entrance raised a few eyebrows, as women were really only expected to come in if they were serving the food or clearing the plates, like me. She ignored social custom completely. This was only the start. 
She came in carrying the pot, promptly broke it, and poured the oil over Jesus' head. The whole pot. Now, this pot was stunning. It was probably a family heirloom, and the oil was the most beautiful, scented stuff. Someone said the perfume was made from nard, which is extracted from a root in India, which would explain why she had to break it to get into it. It would have been sealed to preserve it. Now, this seems quite extreme. From the moment she walked calmly in with the pot, I realized she was carrying something of huge value. This could have been in her family for generations. And she was breaking it open to pour it on Jesus. Like pouring your life savings over him. It is customary, you probably know, to anoint the head of an honored guest with a few drops of oil. But this was far beyond normal courtesy and respect. It was pure extravagance. Well, not a moment passed before there were grumbles. A couple of people said, what's the point of wasting the ointment? And I heard someone mutter, but loud enough to be heard, the ointment could have been sold for a year's wages and given to the poor. They were angry, perhaps because she'd wasted her oil. I think people were embarrassed by her act of love and generosity, greedy even, that she had used it on him. To be honest, I thought it was a fair point. Jesus is always going on about the poor and helping the poor and loving the poor. She must have been devoted to him. Imagine someone coming up to you at an event and giving you their life savings. He must have been more important to her than her family heirloom, her life's work, and money. All the other people were embarrassed by her outpouring of emotion, I suppose. But you know, sometimes I think we are a bit embarrassed by the emotions of others. I often feel uncomfortable when people pray differently to me, and it's the same with music. This woman wasn't reserved. That was clear. She had no inhibitions. But then Jesus said the most extraordinary thing. He said, leave her alone. And why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. That was amazing for a start. He silences all the grumblers and the silent and uncomfortable, like me. And he seemed to be saying that although the poor are important, as they will always be with us, not hidden, not ignored, that at the same time the thing she had done was correct. Pretty strong in her favor. But the you will not always have me was plain confusing. He'd only just arrived in Jerusalem, and we were expecting great things. He's been verbally sparring with the religious leaders and starting to really pull a huge crowd of followers. So where's he going to go? This wasn't the end of the confusion. He went on to say, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, What she has done will also be told 
in memory of her. Needless to say, that floored us all. But I had heard him say something similar to this before. A couple of days ago, when a poor woman gave Jesus one single coin, he praised her and said to the grumblers then, she gave out of her poverty, put in everything. He said the same to this woman when saying she did what she could. He's implying she gave him everything and that she was right to do it. But the burial part was just worrying. He's saying that her kindness is important as his body will soon need anointing for burial. Now our tradition is that bodies after death are anointed and the jar from which the oil is taken is broken and laid around the body in the tomb. But he was talking about his own body and why he was talking about being buried is beyond me. It seemed to baffle everyone there. I mean, surely God's Messiah wouldn't die, would he? I suppose Jesus is, however, right about that last part, since I am telling you. What she has done might be told for generations to come. Maybe she will be known forever for that crazy generosity. The reckless generosity of that woman. There are three reasons I really liked this passage. Firstly, Jesus affirms this woman. Jesus affirms women all the time in the Gospels. It's one of the reasons I love Christianity, following Jesus. And that's why this passage originally spoke to me. She really gets to the point in action. She cuts through all those grumbles and her actions contrast the opening of the story and the close. Men are plotting to kill Jesus and the plot is coming close to fruition at the end. And also her actions contrast the men in the middle of the story who are grumbling about her inappropriate behavior. The New Testament scholar Tom Wright points out that women often do this in the Gospels. This woman in the story cuts through the male objections and steps in with insight and love. Inappropriate and wonderful. That in a context where women were lesser, Jesus treats her with kindness and love. He speaks to her who's done something beautiful and the word could be described as lovely. Something an equal would do. Secondly, this passage shows us completely that not only did Jesus give his whole self, but people responded to Jesus who saw him at the time and they gave their whole selves. The woman with one coin. This woman with her life savings in this jar of beautiful perfume. There's a real contrast in the story in that she seems to be the only one in the narrative who has correctly perceived his intention in coming to Jerusalem. Perhaps without even realizing it, she has brought to the attention of everyone, whether they understand it or not, that his intention is to die, giving away his very self for love of others. Her actions foreshadow his death. She gives everything, and then he does. Her extravagance, her generosity of love is a sign of her giving her whole self. 
The third thing that really struck me about this passage is this is the action of a woman who is not afraid to be impulsive for love. This, as I researched the passage, struck me more and more. The passage is asking a question of us. It's asking, can we give our all? And even if it goes against something that might be our natural reserve, our social expectations. Loving Jesus and being a Christian is about reckless loving. We're often afraid of being over the top in our behavior. Perhaps we're worried about being embarrassing or different. We're worried about being awkward or too noticeable. I know I struggle with different ways of doing things. We may struggle with expressing our emotions, perhaps even our faith, publicly. But this story shows us an example of what Jesus really wants. He criticizes those who are religious, behaving in a particular way because they felt that was the thing to do. He would prefer us to act in love. How are we serving Jesus? Out of love and gratitude for our life, are we doing the wonderful, the lovely thing? And perhaps this is, there are ways of doing this. Asking to pray with someone who isn't a Christian. A moment when someone is telling you about their daily struggle, perhaps someone's lonely, and you ask, can I pray with you? What does extravagant generosity mean? Inviting a neighbor to tea and telling them about church. And I mean church of the original meaning. Community of those who follow Jesus. Or perhaps the lovely thing is pausing on the way home from the shops and asking if someone is okay. Or asking how your friend is really feeling. When we do that lovely thing, we do it for Jesus. Impulse seems to be a really negative word. Something looked down upon. They are impulsive. Yet this is exactly what that woman did. She walked into a room filled with people who would grumble, look down on her, and she acted. Embarrassing. Challenging. I often find at work that people are very wary of me being a Christian. People often ask if I too am religious, or is it just Mike? And it's a really difficult environment for me. But I am continually challenged to tell people about my faith. It has become easier for me. People assume that the church is stifling of women. Jesus wasn't. People assume that I am judgmental. Jesus wasn't. But the hard part is the action. Am I impulsive in giving up my British self, giving up my inhibition? I want to fit in. I'd like to be cool. And I don't, I don't like to seem odd. But this is my challenge. I return to work on Tuesday. Can I be impulsive for Jesus? Exuberant, overly generous, stepping out to do something lovely. And we never know how much that kindness might change someone's life. That in our prayer or action, that could be the most important moment in their life. So this week, 
I am challenged and I challenge you to practice impulsive loveliness. Pray with someone, reach out to someone. And you're doing that for Jesus. Because this moment we've learned about today, for Jesus, was the last kindness he experienced before going to his death. This woman knew in her heart of hearts that if she didn't do it then, she would never do it. And as the theologian William Barclay writes, how that last extravagant, impulsive kindness must have uplifted Jesus' heavy heart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that the gospel still speaks to us and challenges us today. Lord, I thank you so much for the example of that woman who stepped out, who wasn't afraid to be different, who wasn't afraid to embarrass herself. And she broke that oil over Jesus as a sign of her giving her whole self. Lord, would you help us this week to give ourselves afresh, to look around us where we can do the extravagant, generous, lovely thing. And Lord, would you show us again and challenge us again to do that for you. Amen.